Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and thank you for listening to the Captain's Collective Podcast, brought to you by Skinny Water Culture, Costa Sunglasses, All Hands Vodka, Turtle Box Audio, Florida Fishing Products, and Orvis Fly Fishing. Recently at ICAST in Orlando, I got the opportunity to sit down with Virginia Salvador and chat about the fishing, culture, and cuisine around her home waters of San Francisco. Virginia and her co-captain at Gatecrashers Fishing focus predominantly on white sturgeon and king salmon. And in this podcast, we dive into the techniques, approach, and mindset that has helped them find success and build a healthy business in one of America's most iconic cities. Virginia even gives some helpful tips to building the perfect sandwich and how she used culinary skills to help buy time on boats early on in her fishing development. We hope that you enjoy our time together. Thank you for listening. This is the Captain's Collective. I'll say it's anything you choose, I think it picks you. You know, it's genetic. Let everything else stop in the world and just be quiet. And it's amazing where your mind goes at that point um, and where it doesn't go. And sometimes just that quiet space is, is what we need, and especially in this day and age. You have a fly rod in your hand. It's this tool that takes you to beautiful places. You meet hopefully wonderful people. And it's just this cherry on top of this outdoor adventure. When the fish is coming, that shot within a shot, that timer starts. No one else knew anything anyway, and you just might definitely making it up if you're going along. But so what Grandpa and Dad would tell me is like, all right, where's an old big trout laying out there? Where's his shaving cream on the water? Where's he been shaving this morning? At? So look for his shaving cream on the water, and that's where he's gonna be. Well, hey, Virginia, thanks so much for making some time today. We're down here in uh, Florida at ICAST, and thank you for braving the heat with me. <laughs> I know it's a little different than San Francisco, uh, so I appreciate that. But I was really excited just to get the opportunity to sit down and talk with you. I've not interviewed anybody that have focused on sturgeon, uh, which is really interesting to me. And I can't wait to hear about just the West Coast fishery, which I think that you're the first person I've interviewed to that is uh, stationed out of the West Coast. Oh, so, that's exciting. Yeah, just a lot of great things to get into. But before all that, I, I would love just to hear about what your upbringing was like and how you found fishing and how eventually you made your way into becoming a, a full-time captain. All right, absolutely. So my name is Virginia Salvador. I'm the co-captain of Gatecrasher Fishing Adventures. Um, I have a pretty large family of males, and fishing is something I was, you know, running down and doing with my cousins and my brothers and stuff like that. So it's been throughout my whole life I've been fishing, but... Um, I would say that it really changed about seven years ago. Um, I moved back home after being a military spouse for many years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you kind of forget who you are, or what you're about when you're a mom and a wife and all that stuff. So when I came back home and kind of restarted my life, I went back to fishing mm -hmm. and I found joy again. I found something that just gave me so much passion and drive and I wanted to learn so bad. I didn't want to just know how to catch a fish. I wanted to learn everything. I wanted to learn how to find them, understand their habitat, how, how to run the gear, understanding the tide and just everything. It was so fascinating to mm -hmm. me. I have a bachelor's in biology and a minor in chemistry, so I'm a science fanatic in general. So I was really interested in understanding the science of fishing. Mm -hmm. So um, at that time, I was fishing all the time. I was traveling and 
kind of just, you know, making my name for myself. And then I basically went to this Sturgeon Derby with my co-captain. Well, basically, I begged myself to get into that derby. Um, (laughs) He already had his, like, pro team he was going to take out to the derby Mm -hmm. that day. And um, I was good friends with a mutual friend of his. And he kept talking about this derby. And I was like, I want to go. I want to go. And he's like, dude, Gary, just tell Tell her to go another day. I mean, any of the, just not the Derby, Gary. Come on, man. And I was like, I don't want to go any other day. I mm-hmm. want to go to the Derby. I want to experience that. I want, I want to go. So, you know, he, he pushed me off for several weeks. And then finally, like a few days before the Derby, um, I told Gary, come like one more time, man. Just ask him one more time. So he's like, fine. If this chick really wants to go, tell her to call me. Mm-hmm. You know, 15 minutes later, ring, ring, you know. Yeah. And I introduce myself and I say that, you know, I'm really interested in understanding the Derby and getting this different style of fishing um, and I think I'd be an awesome addition. I learn really quickly. I really don't know what I'm doing, but I want to mm-hmm. go. Please let me go. So yeah. I got on that boat, and we caught 10 sturgeon that day. Three of them I caught myself. And after I got that sturgeon fever, it was like I hit the ground running. Yeah. Um, I ended up fishing with my co-captain pretty regularly. And then about a year and a half into it, we just said, you know, he was a catch and release sturgeon angler. He was really passionate about it. And after I started learning more about that species specifically, mm-hmm. um, I understood his, his methods or why he was pushing for catch and release. You know, Unfortunately, in our fishery, white sturgeon isn't protected like everywhere else in the world, not like mm-hmm. the Pacific Northwest, not like Canada. We don't have a catch and release fishery. So mm-hmm. our numbers aren't like other places. And, you know, they're not doing well. And, you know, the science behind it is they don't, they don't become sexually mature in the wild females in the wild until they're 17 years of age. Hmm. So our slot limit is between 40 to 60 inches. And by that time, they're like 15 years of age, you know, anywhere from like 12 to 20 years of age, depending on how the food supply is. And so we're taking this fish that isn't doing well in our system we're taking it out before it can even breed um you know they're over harvesting issues there's just so many things behind that like um they don't become gravid unless it's like four to five years Mm -hmm. so it's just a fish that is not doing well and they have been growing below lambda for the last two decades so you know the fish that are sustainable grow at lambda if they are above lambda, then they are growing fine in the fishery, but they've been growing at a decline. Mm-hmm. So I felt like there was this need to really educate the public and make them understand why we felt it was so important and hopefully advocate for change. You know, I don't want to take people's rights to harvest them if that's what they want to do, but I do think it's important that we understand what we need to change to make it better so that way we can have fisheries like the Pacific Northwest and mm-hmm. Canada. So um, after that, we started a business, which we are the only catch and release sturgeon charter in Northern California. Um, we wanted to offer a different experience for you to come out on our boat and learn about them. And we're really good about sharing knowledge and we're really, really good at what we do. And we're so passionate about it. And it's, if you're who doesn't want to go to San Francisco, yeah. you know, go wine tasting in Napa, get to experience that whole culture and then hop over and catch dinosaurs right there in the California Delta. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that that's definitely a challenge to be somebody who is unlike the rest of the captains in your area in the sense of everybody's looking around. If you didn't know much about fishing, if you didn't know much about sturgeon, if you didn't know much about populations and you're looking around and you're going, okay, so I'm getting the take home 
me and I'm getting the take home stuff with Why these other captains. With Why would I want to go with them? So the education even has to start even before they get on the boat. But I have a lot of questions because that was a lot of information. I know. Which is great. I still have so much more. Like we, we have this awesome program that we're working with the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. Yeah. We're going to be scanning them, chipping them, and we're working hand in hand with them. Mm-hmm. We get to have now 10 rods on the boat at all time, no matter how many anglers are on the boat to do more research purpose fishing. So like we get to take people out on charters, but we also get to take out and show you the science behind of what we're doing Mm -hmm. and i mean it's really exciting stuff that's never happened before in our fishery like you know breaking down these walls and making these changes so we're really passionate and excited about it yeah so let's circle way way back to the derby thing so you really wanted to do the derby explain to me what the derby is okay so this was a catch and release derby um out of martinez california um I had fish for sturgeon off boats and on the shore a lot, and the idea of catching multiple sturgeon in one derby, Mm -hmm. you have to understand in our fishery, the average angler takes 100 hours just to catch one. Okay. It's difficult to catch white sturgeon in our fishery. It's Mm -hmm. not, you know, I know we make it look easy on the internet, but if anyone's actually spent the time trying to catch them, it's a lot of understanding you need to know just to catch them. And Mm -hmm. um, so this derby, we had a team of six on the boat. And um, basically with this particular derby, how it worked was that you just needed to catch how many you needed to catch and you get a ticket in the hat. So it wasn't like first place, second place, just because you caught the most. It was more like the more tickets you had in the hat, then they pull random numbers for first, second, third, fourth. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, so it made it kind of fun and random, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, It's not like it was the same people winning every year. It's totally at random. So it was absolutely the most funnest. So for you, you had said you grew up kind of fishing with your with your family. What did it look like as a kid fishing for you? So I I mainly started on the lake. I okay. would fish on the, we went to the In lake. North California? Yeah, on Lake okay. Berryessa. I grew up on a lake there. My family went, or avid campers, and we went all summer long, and so I would fish with my cousins off the shore for bass and things like that, um, you know, just for fun. Yeah. You know, we just always did the same thing back then. I didn't really, I guess I didn't really think further than just like putting a bait on a hook and casting it out. Mm -hmm. As you evolve in this industry, you see there's so many different ways of doing it and like so much to learn. But, you know, really at that point, it's all about introduction and having fun, isn't it? Yeah. So. And when you think back to your time on the lake, because obviously, you know, you were just alluding to how challenging it is to to chase and target sturgeon and um, a lot of the species that you guys focus on. For you though, when you look back at those, that time as a kid, how do you feel like that shaped you? Uh, I think it just gave me an introduction to enjoying spending time outside all day long. And even if you just caught one fish, mm-hmm. that thrill you get when you finally land one and you spend, you get there early, you spend the whole day out there and finally, you know, it, it all turns out to be good because you catch mm-hmm. a fish, you get that thrill and that was introduced to me at a very young age. So mm-hmm. um, even when I lived in Washington, I lived there for four years, my brother went into the military and he gave me his little blue boat, it was a little 14 foot Galapser. Then, 1976 with a wow. Mark 50 on it, you know? Yeah. Um, my spouse was deployed a lot because he was at Green Beret, so I spent a lot of time alone with my kids, and I, we lived on this lake, and so I would put my little diaper babies mm-hmm. on this boat, and I would just learn how to fish that particular lake, and so that freshwater thing has run strong in me for a really long time. So it was really exciting for me, I think, at that derby to switch over to a brackish saltwater system and learn so much more than what I already knew. Yeah, for you, what was helpful in doing that as you kind of learned how to, because it sounds like you you spent a lot of time do, in kind of self-teaching environments. What, what was helpful? Um, helpful with bass fishing or sturgeon Just fishing? in general, just uh, for you developing as an angler, 
you know, going out there and kind of doing a lot of DIY fishing, were there certain things that were super helpful for you in your development holistically as an angler? I think a, a lot of like the first things I would have to say, it's like you learn patience. Mm-hmm. That's probably the most important thing. And then you start to learn like tides. Mm-hmm. Well, not maybe not so much on a lake, but just understanding that timing or like the morning bite or the evening yeah. bite or understanding the habitat of the fish. Mm-hmm. Um, where are they hiding? Are they in the rocks? Are they in the trees? Are they in the grass? Is this air, is this water clear? Mm-hmm. Is this water, you know, there's certain things you learn when you're out there just by being observant that really help you catch your fish if you can understand the habitat they're from. Were there certain people kind of along the way as you were an adult re-engaging in fishing that were really influential or helpful to you in those early years outside of obviously you went to the Derby with who you now captain with. Yeah, co-captain. Co-captain with, yeah. Mm -hmm. But um, were there other people along the way that were helpful? Absolutely. Um, I always joke around that I had like a Yale experience in fishing, meaning that I went to like the best schools. Mm -hmm. So when it came to sturgeon fishing, I found the best sturgeon fisherman there was, and I started learning from him, and he was kind enough to teach me. And when it came to King Salmon, I met this guy that had grown up on a cattle boat, and his father was the captain his mother was the deckhand like they like he had spent his entire life out in the ocean so Mm -hmm. I started going fishing with him more regularly he taught me everything I needed to know about king salmon like he taught me a lot about rock fishing and things Mm -hmm. and then when I wanted to learn about striped bass I went out with my friend Gary and he taught me how to fish the California delta for big giant striped bass and I've had these people in my life that have taken me out and spent time with me out there and that I feel like it kind of gave me a fast forward approach to fishing. It didn't take me 30 years to do it, but they were kind enough to share that with me. I went out with my friend Arky Bill and he taught me how to, you know, use a a casting rod and to really throw lures and understanding how close you have to get it to the Mm. shore. Like I've spent time with these awesome people and they really were patient enough to teach me, but I was also really thirsty to learn it. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a podcast I listen to sometimes called the Tim Ferriss show. And, um, actually maybe it was actually on a, a guy named Seth Godin that, uh, was talking about a real life MBA. And he was talking about how you can basically create your own MBA program in life. You can find the people that you want to learn from, find the events and conferences and things to go to and invest money and time into that the same way that you would school. And it's kind of funny because I remember hearing that years ago and in that influencing even the way that I engage in trying to learn from captains and people who are just really fishy people. And it's funny that you said you, you joked that you have the Yale experience. I think that that's, you know, to me, just hearing that is, is super exciting and interesting because there's so many people who they want to learn from people and, you know, in person, like real relationships, and there's some sort of block or a barrier for them to do it. What advice would you give to somebody who is wanting to say, you know what, like, I want to put myself out there and and learn from people around me? You know, it's funny as I get this question a lot, you know, a lot of people want to get into fishing, they don't really know how to get into fishing, or how do you become good or whatever. And really, what I would tell you, it's, it's time. It's spending that time being passionate about it to keep going after it, staying consistent. And when you do meet somebody you want to learn from, you know, giving them the respect, Mm -hmm. doing things extra. Like, for example, like I would always make really awesome sandwiches. I'm talking about the best sandwiches. So when you were fishing with me, like I, I mean, I'd spoil the captain, giant sandwich. I clean the boat afterwards. I, I gill all the fish. Like I, I just worked harder and I was more thirsty and I was always 
going after it and I just I, I wanted more and I was always so grateful and you know in this industry you have to be tight-lipped so you have to learn when to keep secrets and yeah. when to not like blow out a spot and I think that's a lot of the reason why people are kind of like gatekeep it in a certain way is just because the quarry is limited you know where we're at you know there's only a certain population of fish and so people always want to try to keep it tight-lipped but yeah if you learn and understand conservation the more people will probably be more respectful of letting you learn from them because if you're going to come in and saying i just want to stack fish on the deck there's only a certain amount of resource for us all to have so yeah. you know if you learn conservation work really hard spoil them like spoil your captains or the people you're learning from clean their boats make their lives a little bit easier you know don't sit down and be taken out fishing help them you know untie the boat or launch it learn those skills because you know how grateful it is when someone takes you fishing and you know how to like I, I launch the boat every single time. I, I could do, I've been doing that since I was a, like a kid. My yeah. father has had me help him like detach a boat and do that my entire life. So I feel really comfortable with a trailer. I can literally launch anything you put me in front of. So yeah, and that's that's something that my dad tried to instill in with me really young. He used to work before he was a fishing captain. He worked for Fish and Wildlife Commission, and my mom went to college when I was in elementary school. So we didn't have a lot of money when I was growing up. So when we would get these opportunities in hunting and fishing. You know, it wasn't like money wasn't the thing that we could really contribute, offer. you know, mm -hmm. offer. But I always remember my dad always took it really serious with like, you know, the sandwiches, the snacks, the anything, all those little things where even if you're a 14 year old kid and you don't have $800 or whatever somebody's guide rate is, you know, but if, if you can meet them and start to say, hey, man, can I I just want to learn from you. Can I help clean the boat and you show me some gear? Can you just looking for little tiny things? I think that that does go a long way. And I think in, in general in life, we we look at the barriers and we we're really good at focusing on what we don't have. I don't have the money to go out with the best guides and exactly. I don't have the time to do X, Y, Z rather than looking at what 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 do you have and we're going to circle back on on the best sandwich recipe because i would love to capture that <laughs> but talk me through okay so that is all i think super helpful stuff on just in general here's a great way to learn from people but for you when we when we talk about sturgeon it's such a obscure thing to me because i've never attempted to fish for sturgeon i've never seen a sturgeon with my eyes yeah they're incredible and so Talk me through a typical day sturgeon fishing and kind of what, what it looks like to pursue these animals and maybe just a little bit of general behavior that, that I need to know. Okay, awesome. So what's really cool about sturgeon in general, it's like especially the ones out in the wild that aren't like lake bound or something like that. The, the anatomy of this of the sturgeon is that they have these scoots on the side of their body that are really sharp. They're mm -hmm. like shark teeth on their outer surface so um handling them stuff you have to understand how to handle them and things like that but it also teaches you how much like prehistoric they are mm -hmm. you know these fish have been dated back over 345 million years ago wow. so they've literally lived through everything that earth has ever thrown at them but mankind so um they have a mouth at the bottom of their head so they're a bottom feeder so we're bottom fishing when you fish for sturgeon and mm -hmm. Um, some of the most helpful ways that I could teach someone to sturgeon fish is understanding your tide and your contour. Mm -hmm. um, sturgeon really like to be in the deep crevices um, of your 
your waterway and they like because they're scent feeders they're bottom feeders mm -hmm. they're smelling your bait they're coming along and crossing over it the best thing to do is to choose when the tide is slowing down mm -hmm. and when the tide is speeding up so not necessarily slack tide because slack tide's fine if you the fish comes over your bait right yeah. for the scent but you also want your scent to move a little bit to attract anything that's in a near area mm -hmm. so the best times to fish for them is when that tide is at this nice slower rate mm -hmm. and think of it like a barbecue right if we go to the park and it's a windy day we can smell barbecue in the air but do we know where the barbecue is coming from no if it's a beautiful day with no one at all can we tell which ones are, are cooking hot dogs and which ones are cooking ribs you can point literally right yeah. over to them because the the scent is coming right in your direction because the wind's not mm -hmm. um, affecting that that's how tight is down in the water so um Understanding that, understanding their migration patterns, like where they like to move into the system. Um, always knowing that, like, if you're fishing an area and you're not catching them there all day, you might want to move around a little bit. Might yeah. be a little helpful, you know, because that'll maximize your hours in the day when you're mm -hmm. fishing for them. Um, you need to have heavy gear in general. I use accurate reels. I use Boss Valiant 400s, and I use a Seeker Rod 270 Super Seeker. Um, this is a very soft, light tip rod with a strong backbone. They're basically tuna gear. Uh -huh. um, these are our mud marlin. They're solid, hard-fighting fish that jump in the air and. I mean, they're going to give you a run for your money, baby. Yeah. You know, so you got to make sure you got the gear for them. Mm -hmm. Fresh bait, you know, whatever you're using um, to catch them, make sure it's nice and fresh. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people think that when you cast out bait, like, oh, two hours later, like, it's still fine. Um, do you want um, a piece of meat that's been sitting out for a couple of hours, or do you like it when it comes fresh off the grill? Mm -hmm. That's what they're yeah. like. You know, they, they do like that freshness. So we change out bait once in every hour to give them that scent in the water. Um, having really good gear knowing your tides knowing your contour um not being afraid to get up and move and move around that's also really important i mean you can s stick and rot and if the fish come through the area you can be successful in mm -hmm. a day but i think for me if i'm on my kayak or if i'm on a boat i'm picking up and moving quite often throughout the day if it's not working in a certain area and what's the when you when you're talking about you know understanding the contour what's the general depth that we're talking about here so sturgeon in our fishery can be caught anywhere from like 15, 10 feet to mm -hmm. most commonly in certain areas, 30 to 50 to 60 to 80. Um, uh, we've caught them in all kinds of depths, depending mm -hmm. on, you know, your waterway. We catch them in the California Delta, which is a brackish system. Mm -hmm. So for the freshwater and the saltwater combine and they're switching over. So that's where they tend to hang out a lot in our fishery. You also can catch them in the San Francisco Bay and up in the freshwater as well. But they seem highly concentrated in the, the brackish California water. So. For you, what's a what's a really big, remarkable sturgeon, size-wise? So for our fishery, because we don't have the numbers like other places do, like a, a solid, beautiful catch to me would be an 80-incher. Mm -hmm. You know, um, we have caught a few over 100-inch, but they're not as common. Mm -hmm. um, but really anything, like a respectable sturgeon caught in our fishery is basically anything that's slot size and up, you know, okay. 40 inches and up. You know, you're like, yeah, I got a slot size. But really, I mean, even from the smallest size, there's so much fun to catch. They're so, when they're little, like they're very, very sharp because the world hasn't beat them up yet. So like you can even touch their scoots and they are like extremely sharp the younger they are. Yeah. And then they have this really cool head that's like, feels like sandpaper, but it's also like hard as a helmet. Mm -hmm. um, their, their bodies are really, really interesting interesting and they're honestly such a hearty fish that 
surprisingly enough, they, they're really, really made for a catch and release fishery because they can handle being outside of the water. I mean, obviously to a certain degree, but they can, I've heard stories of them, people catching them and leaving them on the shore for like six hours and throwing them in at the end of the day. And there they go swimming off. Wow. It's incredible. You know? Yeah, I was wondering, because you mentioned the fish handling thing, you know, obviously you want to watch their scoots and everything, but what's, what's, is there a proper fish handling? They're pretty hardy. I mean, okay. what does that process look like? We get one to the boat. It's jumped. We fought it. I'm guessing a lot like a tarpon. Yes. You finally you know. gassed it out to yeah. the point where, it's hand, where you can actually handle it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing you're going to want to do is turn your fish over. Just like sharks, when you keep them on their be- on their backs and their uh-huh. bellies up, they kind of like fall asleep a little bit. So as soon as you hook them up, you finally bring them to the surface, keep them up at the surface, make sure they stay on their belly right there because they have the hook, right? Uh-huh. So that when you, how we grab them, we grab them by their lips. Uh-huh. We take the hook out and then we grab them from our lips if they're not too big and we bring them up aboard uh-huh. um, and then if you're going to handle them the best way to do it is slide your one hand behind the, their pectoral fins and grabbing the end of their tail and trying to keep as far back on the tail where the scoots are less at but either uh-huh. way you should put always have gloves Gloves. but if you so like say you're not going to take a picture yet just dangle them from their tail with their head down they'll go to sleep they don't really fight or anything. Yeah. As soon as you lift that head up to take that photo of that horizontal picture, they can sometimes come alive. So yeah. just know to just drop the, you know, drop the head again <laughs> and hold them by their tail again, and then they kind of go to sleep again. Mm-hmm. So. And then for you guys, you, you had talked about um, there's two main seasons for you. There's the sturgeon season, and then you talked about there's a se- there is a season where all of a sudden your deck gets bloody, is the wording you used earlier today. Yes. But tell, tell me about your two different seasons, what that looks like for you and your business. Okay, so during our um, our winter season from October to May, we fish for white sturgeon out of the California Delta. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we move during the summer to our harvest season, which is from June to October, where we fish out of... Um, Fisherman's Wharf, the iconic mm-hmm. front row of Fisherman's Wharf right there wow. in San Francisco. It's an incredible place with such rich history. And um, it's really cool because you, you get to come into the city and we have awesome parking right across the street. And then um, you come out and we're literally right where the bait is. Mm-hmm. Like everybody in the entire bay has to come to this place to get bait. And we literally have it right on our doorstep. So we grab the bait, we head out of the harbor, and we're literally right on the fishing grounds in a matter of like 15 minutes. So um, during this season, we catch king salmon, rockfish, lean cod, halibut, striped bass. And this is the time of year where we harvest sustainable species that aren't toxic to us, right? Sturgeon in our fishery, they are, um, the consumption guidelines say you shouldn't eat them for a woman um, unless you're over the age of 45. And males, when they turn 18, uh, during this time, they say that's the best time to eat them, but eat more, no more than like once a week kind of thing. Um, where they are in our fishery, they are around a lot of refineries and things, so they're not as um, healthy for you to eat as some of the other species that are outside the Golden Gate and offshore. So um, we catch king salmon, which is sashimi-grade gorgeous ocean-caught salmon, and this is the time to rack up your, your freezer. Get the yeah. fish that you can feed your family and not have to worry about it, and it tastes so good. Oh, so. yeah. I have... <laughs> I've, I've had plenty of experience eating it. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to me about a typical king salmon trip. I pull up, you got great parking, I'm downtown, mm-hmm. we catch bait. What's, what's that day look like? So um, 
we usually will grab a little scoop of bait because I sometimes like to pin them live. So we, we get a bait anyway. And you never know with a fishing day. You know, we like to have backups sometimes during a day. If the fishing kind of gets weird, we can always switch over to rock fishing while we're out there and okay. things like that. So I always like to be prepared. So we grab some bait. We head out. I start rigging up all the gear. Um, we use a flasher and a, like a sinker release and a long leader. Mm-hmm. And I how I catch them or how we catch them is that we use a frozen anchovy and we use a... Um, a hook that we use called a wire baiter and we slide it through the flesh and we curve the frozen anchovy in a certain direction to make it twirl so once I drop them into the water I do them at different depths so I have my bow rods like at 20 22 and I get my side rods that are okay. starting at like 26 28 and then I've got my back corner rods that are my 38 44s then I have my deep rods are anywhere from 55 to 65 so I'm, I'm literally stacking them and dropping sinker weights each time we hook up on one so we're using these giant 40 ounce balls and um, yeah we troll all day for them and then at that time when you hook up the, the captain puts us in position and then I scoop I grab the net and we scoop your fish and we keep on going and each angler can take two home per trip so we just start racking them and stacking them yeah at that point how many people do you typically have on your boat we're a six-pack charter, so we okay. have six people that we take out. Usually, more often, it's a private charter, but six people. Okay, and then tell me about your boat. What type of boat do you guys run? What's the kind of setup? Yep, we have a 28-foot Farallon, a diesel engine, awesome boat. It's actually made in California, originally in Fairfield, California, but now they are made out of Sacramento, California. Um, it's a really seaworthy boat, made mm-hmm. really for our fishery, and it has a great, like, area to stay away from the weather inside and then you have that great deck space if you haven't looked up what a Farallon boat is I highly suggest you do they're my favorite Um, they're just a tank out there and we have certain patches when you're going out the Golden Gate where there's like this current change it gets kind of choppy Mm-hmm. So it's nice to have a boat that's got is pretty seaworthy, and that's definitely what the Gate Crasher is. And um, it, it's a great boat. We use great gear, and um, honestly, it's an awesome experience to go out there on that boat. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it. Um, I hope to get out there one day. You I'd should love to. absolutely. We'll definitely set that up. We'll yeah. find it. We'll find a group, and we'll we'll get you know a group of people to go out there, and I think it'd be awesome. Um, so worth it. One of the things that we were talking about earlier was just. Uh, you know some of the some of the challenges for anybody to enter an industry because with, with the the Yale fishing you know you have to have a certain level of confidence to go talk to people to ask questions Absolutely. to be willing to be a novice which I think is one of the hardest things for people to mm-hmm. do is just to have the humility to say can you teach me this because I don't know mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of people are more interested in pretending like they know than actually learning which is a whole nother conversation but on top of on top of that barrier you just kind of have a I don't know if barrier is the right word but you have a a sense in which this is a predominantly male-dominated industry and you've come in and you've built a great reputation and I'm just kind of curious for you like as you've learned to sturgeon fish and you've learned this fishery and you've learned all these different species that you guys halibut and all of that and then on top of that you've done so as a female in the industry I'm curious what that experience has been like for you and maybe some of the ways that you feel like that's maybe helped shape you in a positive way and some of the challenges that you feel like you've had to go through because of that. Absolutely. I would say in general, the best thing you can do, the best way to be the best learner is drop your ego, mm-hmm. especially when you're just first learning things. Just be a listener, you know, try not to take things too seriously and, and get your feelings hurt too much because you're going to get them hurt. 
you're not good at it yet. You're yeah. all about the learning situation. But I think as a woman in this industry, we do have to work a little harder mm -hmm. and prove ourselves a little bit more. But once you do get to that point where you know exactly what to do out there, the respect comes along with it. You know, and that, that comes with time. That comes with understanding. And honestly, it comes with hard work. Um, I'm not afraid of hard work, so uh, having the backbone to be able to put in that kind of work to get to where you are, that wasn't something I was afraid of doing. Mm -hmm. um, it takes a lot of dedication and time. This isn't something that you can just hop into and be a pro overnight. It does take time. Mm -hmm. So, But that just shouldn't discourage you. I mean, each time you're out there, you're learning a new technique, you're learning something you never thought about before, and you're absorbing like a sponge, you know? And take the time to go on YouTube and learn those knots. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have to go out there and, and think that you don't know how to do anything. Just do a little homework at home. Learn those knots online. Uh, watch a few videos and kind of get the understanding of how a system works. And, and then come out there and just with an open mind and no ego, and you'd be surprised how much you can absorb through your experiences out there. And, you know, what's great about the fishing industry now is that women are really starting to get into it and get mm -hmm. after it and it's really so exciting to see you know and although you might it might be hard or people might give you more crap or whatever don't be discouraged mm -hmm. if you really want something there's nothing stopping you but you yeah um, and I don't care if it's a male dominated industry or a, a high market sales industry whatever it ends up being the difference between male and female doesn't really matter if you mm -hmm. got the ethic, the hard work ethic to get you there and the and the ability to really just put yourself out there and, and not have an ego. Yeah, and I've, I've only been paying attention for, you know, a handful of years. It's not, you know, growing up fishing, I didn't think, you know, I wouldn't even have used the word industry for most of my life. You know, I just fished and I didn't think much about companies and brands and people like that. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because in some ways it, it there's a shift to where it feels like in some ways there's it, it can be a jerk dominated industry period guy girl new people people who aren't quote unquote legit people who aren't good enough you know good old boy system whatever you want to call it it feels like there's actually a shift with a lot of the the people that at least i interact with where there's actually a vested interest in trying to say no we want to see a diversity of people who care about fisheries who try to do things the right way who want to understand it and for me that's really encouraging because i have uh currently have two kids they're both girls and to me like i have a vested interest and in, i want to see legit women out there fishing because not because if my if my kids don't want to fish when they're older that's totally fine but i, I don't want them to feel like they're not supposed to right that doesn't make sense to me it's it's, it's fishing you know it's you know so um, you know, I definitely, I think there's a shift too in a positive way where maybe there's some people who automatically make assumptions about you because you're a female, oh, she's not legit, she's not strong, she's not whatever. There's also people who are, have a vested interest saying, no, like I really want to see women who are passionate about this sport have opportunity. And I think, you know, if you find those people and you listen to the right people and you run with the right people, you know, that's, that's, a, that's key. Absolutely. I, I have a kind of list of rapid fire questions, if you will, that sure. I love just to kind of work through. What's the biggest mistake people make when they come to the West Coast who have never fished in your fishery? What's the frustrating thing where it's like, as a guy from the Gulf, hmm. <laughs> is there something Dressing you notice? Dress layers? <laughs> yeah, okay. It's, you know, uh, San Francisco, although we do get sunny days, it is uh, cold out there. Yeah. It's cold out there, so make sure you're not the guy that's wearing the flip-flops and shorts when everybody else is wearing, like, winter gear. <laughs> and you're wondering, are you sure? It's really hot back on the shore. I'm like, yeah, but not on the ocean. It is a little chillier out there. Um, what? 
I don't really get too angry at anyone. Um, yeah. I've also, you know, I started off wanting to learn and I always feel like the best approach is being very welcoming in this mm -hmm. industry. And I teach new people how to fish every day on that boat. Yeah. And I never make anyone feel like they, you know, if anything, I'll blame it on me so you don't have to bear that that feeling of making a mistake because I know what that feels like too, you know? Mm -hmm. You really want to be successful. You might have made a mistake, but you might hold on to that feeling all day long and then how fun is that, right? Yeah, it sucks, yeah. Yeah, and I think that depending on what you're fishing for, right? Like, you, if you leave your ego at on shore and you go out there and understand and listen you could be very successful when we tell you to do something we're not just trying to tell you what to do and give you orders yeah. we are trying to make you successful so yeah. if you can listen to the methods like when we say okay reel down and, and get a sturgeon we don't use a typical um, method that some people do for sturgeon some people take it and swing it like a bat and go whoa and, and, and hook a fish that way we don't do it that way we do a reel down method where we keep it in the rod hole and we reel as fast as we possibly can we close them. Mm -hmm. So like understanding that each type of fishing you do is different and it's not all the same. And so don't use that whole method like, oh, hook it real quick or take another rod hole really mm -hmm. quick because you can lose a bite that way. Same thing with salmon fishing. Like uh, it's not the same way too. You don't like swing for the fences when you catch that fish either. It's all about getting it out of the rod holder in a way where you're keeping that fish on the line because it's, it's all barbless hooks. Mm -hmm. We don't have barbs when we're fishing for sturgeon or king salmon. So they can come off very easily. So understanding, you know, keeping the line tight and things mm -hmm. like that. But that's what I'd recommend. Yeah. What's the, with having six people on boat, I'm guessing you hook up on a sturgeon and all of a sudden there's some orchestration happening, getting lines and getting all that stuff. What's the biggest challenge for you guys working with six people? Because most of the guides that I've interviewed over the past couple of years rarely have more than four let alone six, just because I haven't really ventured into a lot of the blue water stuff like, I, like I'd like to. Um, what are those challenges with just dealing with that many people? Yeah, that's, that's definitely a huge difference between Florida and, and our type of fishing. We do tend to have more anglers on the boat. Um, you know, there's a method to the madness. You know, like when it comes to sturgeon fishing, we cast the rods out in a way where we leave some of the rods out really far and some of the rods out a little mm -hmm. bit short. That sure. way, when we hook up on a fish, we know how to weave them through the lines. And we're, just by watching where that line's going out there, like which ones we're going to have to finagle through. Because mm -hmm. you'd much rather be only finagling through four versus all eight or what, all 12 or whatever, yeah. you know? So, um, it's not a challenge when you learn the method, you know, okay. everybody has a program, right? And when we're salmon fishing, um, having six rods at the same time, and sometimes you get a triple, what are you going to do? Yeah. Right. And I think that the most important thing to do at that time is just keep your line tight, try to keep it out of the spread, keep them separate, separated, make sure that you listen to your captain, your deckhand, and they're going to guide you one thing at a time. We usually will try to net the smaller fish first and leave the big boys out a little longer or mm -hmm. um, depending on how cl close or far they are. Um, there's definitely like uh, a method to it. There's a, there's a program. So it might seem overwhelming at first, but we also fish differently, you know, at, at a troll, um, for salmon, we're going quite slow and they're all by weighted balls. Mm -hmm. So although it might seem like they're all crazy out there with that many lines, they're all kind of in their own spot with the weighted balls, keeping yeah. them in their position. So we understand how deep they are mm -hmm. and where we've placed them. So for us, it's easy for us to be able to take it out of the spread, get you in a position. We might clear a rod to get one of the rods out of the way so we can get in a position for netting, things like that. But, um, don't be intimidated by the number of people on the boat. There's a method to this ma madness. <laughs> <laughs> Trust the guides. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you had mentioned like one of the, I think, advantages or, or at least things that you feel like is unique or special about your fishery is also just the fact that there's a lot of interesting things to do around Northern California. You absolutely. can go do wine. Give me, give me the traveler's guide to your zone, Northern I'm, California. I mean, I could talk all day about this. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's, coming to San Francisco isn't just about the San Francisco treat. I mean, it's a diverse and cultural mm-hmm. experience with some of the coolest museums and things that you can do in the city. And then if you're a wine connoisseur, we have some of the best best wines in the world right in Napa Mm -hmm. Valley and that's just like a hop and a skip over a few bridges in the same area Um, it's a lot for the family to do you know and it's really cool that you can literally just hop down on Fisherman's Wharf hop into our boat do a half day or a full day and still be able to experience the whole you know family vacation and and get squeezed in your fishing at the same time and literally you're fishing in a world class fishery with the most incredible king salmon right there in San Francisco or if you decide to take a flight out and come out to the California Delta and fish for sturgeon there I mean Mm -hmm. you're catching these prehistoric amazing fish and then afterwards you can go out to eat some of the best restaurants and do other things I mean golfing is incredible in that area and so so there's so much more to do than just fishing and yeah and just depends on what you're into yeah no I I I've uh, I think for for a long time I've I've wanted to get over there and just do the whole wine tasting thing. I don't oh, really know much come. about wine. It's amazing. You know, uh, <laughs> I know my wife's family. They went to Napa Valley and they had an awesome time. Um, what's the like? What is your favorite glass of wine? Oh, okay. Sauvignon Blanc is my favorite. Um, okay. I have a membership at Cundy Winery and. Um, what does membership mean? Because so, okay. I, I have a. Uh, a weekly stop at Trader Joe's for <laughs> no, what's that's a your membership? membership. Yeah, it's my membership. <laughs> okay, so like something like when you're a membership of a winery, like we agree to like purchase a, a case of wine like every quarter. So mm-hmm. that which is fine with me. I love wine, so that's great. But also, what's great is that if anybody comes out and visits me and wants to go fishing with me, and we could literally, I can get four people in for free tasting underneath my membership. Um, and the tastings are you basically go to this gorgeous winery and they they have a flight of all the different types of wines you can try usually they start in whites and move to red or you can do an all red list or an all white list um i'm i love all types of wine i mean chardonnay is very popular mm-hmm. um pinot noir there is just mm-hmm. you have to taste to understand what your palate is of what you like yeah. that's why i suggest wine tasting so much because you never know you're like oh i don't think i like reds i'm like you might have tried something you didn't like like a no offense but or Mer- merlot that might be a little too heavy for you if you try something else you might find something that you really love so go out there and experience that wine it's a great date mm-hmm. take your wife out there let her get all dressed up go out there and date each other yeah and you know you get to wine taste go to a couple of wineries you know and it's in one of the most beautiful rich lands with these gorgeous wineries and these golden hills with giant oak trees on them and you know like if you get a good day of weather it's sunny and gorgeous and mm-hmm. wine is absolutely delicious so it's worth it alone yeah <laughs> I'll, I'll try to i'll try to put a link in the in the uh, blog post so that people can go find it is yeah. that something you can order um wh- wine well not wine in general i know you can order wine in general but your favorite a mem- like oh uh yeah if you, i mean you, you can get a membership in general at cundy winery and you don't have to yeah. be living there and wine tasting to okay. do that you can literally just get it shipped to your house anywhere in the united states and then get to enjoy these wines and they change up the the what they send or you can do your own custom lists of what you want coming to the house and cool. once you really find a winery that you've fallen in love with like the majority of their entire offerings like it makes it so much fun like you can pair certain wines with fish or you can pair certain wines with like a tri-tip and it really just brings it your palate to a next level and yeah. pairing it with wine 
Now, real quick on the food front, what's what's your favorite restaurant near your boat ramp? Like, oh we my get gosh. off the boat. Yes, I could tell you. So um, right by Fisherman's Wharf, there is this awesome seafood restaurant that is literally on the same um, dock as the bait. It's called Skoma's. Um, they have the best chowder in the city, I think. So when we drop our clients off, we always encourage them to go get a cup of chowder. You have to experience the chowder scene in mm-hmm. San Francisco. We always recommend everyone walk over there and get a chowder cup there, and then we'll fillet the fish and, and bag them up into Ziplocs. And then by the time they come back after enjoying their clam chowder, they have all their fish ready to go, go in their Perfect. coolers, and then they can head home. Amazing. It's, it's absolutely, yeah. If I were to tell you right off our boat where to go skomas it's been around forever their lazy chipino is out of this world and their chowder is consistently delicious yeah that's what we can do over by us except it's a nearby gas station so <laughs> go get your favorite candy bar and, and a refrigerated beer <laughs> we, we have like amazing restaurants in yeah. san francisco like top shelf amazing restaurants so let's circle back to the best sandwich because it seemed like you were you were, had a lot of confidence around your sandwich. What is the best sandwich? Because somebody might be, you know, they might be really lacking in okay. that department. Okay, so I think at the time I have this winery that I used to go to up called Langtree, mm-hmm. and they used to have their own like custom mustards that they would that, that they had there, and I would literally get one of each flavor, uh-huh. and then I'd stack them into my fridge, and so basically I would just change the palate if okay. i'm using this kind of mustard i'm going to pair it with this i'm going to add these fresh vegetables and make it meaty please with this one slice meat don't do this to yeah. me i'm hungry out there you in toast the, sun. the bread um sometimes if okay. it if the if it's you know if it calls for that it just depends on what bread i'm using sometimes i use baguettes or certain types of um chipotle um Ciabatta? Ciabatta. There don't it is. Don't look at me. I'm yeah, from the sorry, handle. I said that wrong. Um, so different <laughs> types of cuts of breads and yeah. things like that. Um, so it just depends on what I'm putting together. But if you make a killer sandwich and and spoil that person that's teaching mm-hmm. you, boy, they're gonna call you again on that next bite. Absolutely. They're like, oh, and I bring them for everyone. I don't just bring it just for the captain. Like I literally make six sandwiches for everybody. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I might not have 500 to throw down on gas, but I always throw down for gas and I always bring hella Sammies. I'm telling you, that's the end. Yeah. In, in. Oh, yeah. No, that's good <laughs> tips. Free beer, too, maybe, depending oh, yeah. on if it's, you know, depending on the circumstances. Right. Um, my last question for you, and it's been really fun just hearing about your fishery and just kind of your approach on everything, is if you could go back and give yourself just a little bit of life advice when you uh, you just got kind of reengaged in fishing and you're out there with your, your kids and your blue boat mm-hmm. and you're just at the very kind of, I guess, beginning of this season two of life as far as fishing goes, what advice would you give yourself back then? Don't ever let anyone let you, like make you feel down. Mm. Don't take the judgmental comments people say on the internet or people that try to discredit you. Don't ever take that to heart. You don't have to be that kind of person. I'll never be that kind of person. I don't care if you're a greenhorn or not. I think fishing is meant to be shared. You know, and I wish I was probably a little bit not so hard on myself when I was trying so hard and and realize that it is an evolution and it comes with time. And as long as you're working hella hard towards those goals, it will just start to click in ways that you never thought before. Like if you see my program now compared to where I was five years ago, you're going to see a completely different change. Mm -hmm. And um, my effort's always been there, but a lot of this comes with time. And now that I've been doing this for quite some time now, I feel... so confident being out there and like you know letting those comments people say on the internet or whatever it is let it roll off your back they don't know you they can think that they know you um you're not guilty by association you are who you are and be who you want to be don't everyone let you down 
That's ever. really good. I really appreciate the time and excited to definitely plan some sort of trip to San Francisco. Absolutely. I highly recommend it. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thanks again for listening to the Captain's Collective Podcast. Help us out by sharing this podcast with your friends online and leaving us a review on iTunes or Spotify. Thanks for listening. This is the Captain's Collective.